mean for your life. So look at Galatians 4. We'll start in verse 1. And Paul writes, he says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate. He's saying that in that day for a wealthy family, if a wealthy family had a, had a boy, that boy would eventually get the entire estate given to him when the father passed away. But when that, when that kid is still a kid, obviously, they, they have access eventually to the whole estate, but they don't really own it yet until the father passes away. So you think of like wealthy Hollywood families like Paris Hilton who are kind of partying their, with their lifestyle right now, and, uh, but they're eventually going to get this incredible estate, this incredible wealth, but they don't have it just yet because they're still young and immature. All right? But this is the analogy he's trying to paint for us, that this is what it's like before you come to know Christ. This is what it's like before you come to know Christ as Savior. It says, He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So what he's saying is that when you come to know Christ, when you enter this relationship with Christ, it's like God adopts you. God brings you in to this new relationship now that you have, a more intimate and more close relationship through Jesus Christ. He says, because you are sons... God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So what he's saying is that whenever you come to faith in Christ, that God Himself, the Holy Spirit, is sent into you to indwell you. And when that happens, something happens in your heart. You, you, you turn away from the things you were once doing and following after, and you turn towards God. And you start to have the desires, new desires to obey God, new desires to pray to God, new desires well up inside of you because of the response to this thing called the Holy Spirit. And as a result, you start to treat God as a father. This, this phrase, Abba Father, it's like saying Daddy. It's like, it's like this very intimate, close kind of saying from, from, a, from a son to a father. And this becomes the, now the new relationship that we have as Christians to God the Father. Verse 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So somebody goes from being in this slave relationship to being in a father-son relationship. A completely different kind of relationship. So if we ask the question, what exactly is adoption? We looked last week at this one quote on Roman adoption. It's not the same kind of adoption that you and I are, 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 are used to hearing about. But this one guy says, The profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. All his old debts are canceled. And in effect, the adoptee started a new life as part of his new family. And so back then, uh, in Paul's day, Roman adoption wasn't just that 
a Roman couple decided, okay, we're going to adopt a baby, so let's go get a baby that we're going to adopt. No, that's not how it was done. The idea of Roman adoption was completely different. It basically was, there's a wealthy man and woman that, that don't have any kids, and they don't have anybody to give their wealth to when they die. So they've got all these slaves in their home because they're wealthy, and so they choose one slave, one male slave, to give their entire wealth to when they pass away. And so this, this slave went from being in a slave-master relationship to now being in a father-son relationship. And now this, this slave that's gone from slavery to sonhood actually gets to experience all the things that a normal family member would experience. That's what he's talking about here. And so the same thing, in a sense, happens when, when you place your trust in Christ, the exact same thing happens to you spiritually. This is what Christ does for you. He, he sets you free. He sets you free from this, this thing of slavery to sin and sets you free to himself. But here's the thing. Sometimes freedom can be really scary. Sometimes freedom can be more scary than slavery. Freedom can be more scary sometimes than the prison. A while back, uh, I was in a different church up in Arlington as an intern, and there was this kid named Chris Wilkes who was a freshman at the time. And one night, uh, Chris and his friend were drinking, and they didn't have a driver's license. They stole a car. They were uh, going down this road. Chris was driving his best friends in the passenger seat. And as they're driving along this, this road, there's a trailer parked along the side of the road that Chris did not see. He hits his trailer doing 75 miles per hour, and the car is pretty much cut in half. And at which point his friend was killed. His best friend died. And so I kind of walked through Chris with that whole scenario in his life. He actually had to go to a, an all-boys school for a while and, and do some probation stuff and all kinds of stuff like that. He got out of that whole deal. A few years later, uh, I lost touch with him, and I heard that he had gone to prison for about six months, and I never really heard from Chris again until a couple years ago. I was at my old church, and someone said, hey, have you heard about Chris Wilkes? And I said, no, I haven't heard from him in a couple years. I thought he was in prison anyway, and I said, well, actually, he's working here at the church as an intern. And so he was over in this area playing with some of the junior high kids at this retreat deal and I walked over and I wanted to say hi to him I'd seen him in a couple years and he'd obviously gone through a lot and so I said Chris so tell me about this whole like prison experience like what was that like for you being in a, in a prison for six months and he said you know it was really tough but honestly I was more scared to get out when the time came because for me the idea of freedom was scary because I was so used to being in this, this prison system for six months and I got used to it and the idea of facing the real world really freaked me out. And, and I thought about that as, a, as an analogy for us spiritually because so, so many of us, we see the life of, of slavery to sin. We see the prison thing as, as almost more appealing and more safe because it's predictable we, we know what to expect from it. Uh, we're comfortable there. And, and yet God says, no, I've got so much more for you over here, so much more freedom for you over here, but we're content just to stay in this place of slavery and, and this prison. And so freedom can, can be scary. We prefer our own life of sin sometimes, even though we know it's a prison. And uh, sometimes even though, as a Christian, you might know you're free, 
when someone says, yeah, you're free in Christ, you're free from that kind of stuff, you might say, yeah, I believe that, I know that. But we, we, can, we can know it in our minds, but have a difficult time really experiencing it in our lives. And, and, and we can live out this life of slavery, even though we're in a position of freedom. And so for some of you guys, I'm sure that's true spiritually. You're, you're a Christian, but you're, you're still enslaved to this, this old mindset. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning just discussing briefly what it means to really live out this thing called adoption. One person said it this way, uh, to live by faith is not a general positive attitude, but it's a deliberate attempt to fire the heart with a knowledge of who we are in Christ and to live consistently with that knowledge. Now, I know that whenever uh, you hear people interviewed on TV, and they'll say things like, someone will say, well, how did you get through uh, that trial in your life? And somebody might say, well, I just, I just have faith. You know, I just have faith. And, and the person may or may not be a Christian, but they'll still talk about faith as if it's a very real part of their life. And you're wondering, okay, what, what do you have faith in? What, what is your faith being placed in? And if you ask them that question, they'd say, well, it's just, I just have faith. And faith is kind of like this sort of general positive attitude that they just sort of, you know, try to work up in in themselves, and they don't have any idea what they're placing their faith in. But the gospel is, that's, that's not the gospel at all. The gospel is very specific. It's all about, are you placing your faith in Christ and what he did for you? Are you placing it specifically in him? Because you can't just have faith in faith. You can't just have faith just to say, I have faith, I just have faith, it's going to work out, it's just, it's just a positive attitude. You can't, that's not faith. That's not biblical faith. And so faith is so much more than that. To place your faith in Christ and to do it throughout your Christian walk, like he says here, is to fire the heart with a knowledge of who we are in Christ. Here's what this might look like for you. If you're a person who's a really insecure person, which most of us are, then when you have these thoughts and feelings of insecurity, then it might mean that in those moments that you talk to God and you pray to Him and say, God, help me to understand my identity in you. Help me to understand that it's not the way I look that matters so much. It's not what I do that matters so much. Help me to to really have that sink into my heart that it's only because of who I am in you that matters. That's what matters. And, and that you pray and talk to God about those things. Maybe you're a person who deals with uh, some kind of like other kind of sin in your life. Whenever those things pop into your mind, whenever those thoughts come into your mind, that you are praying and talking to God about those things in the moment. You're saying, God, I know this is not who I am in you. I know that I'm a new creature. I know that I've been set free from this prison. Help me to grab a hold of that in this moment. But it affects the way that you live on a consistent daily basis. And so there's three main areas where this uh, living out your adoption actually, I think, comes into play. And the first is in the area of obedience. Because if, when you hear that word obedience, most of us just think, okay, yeah, I know I'm supposed to obey God. I know I'm supposed to obey my parents. And the word obedience has all these strings attached to it that make us just kind of go, makes our skin crawl. We hate that word. We hate that idea of authority. We hate the idea of having to obey someone. Because when we, th- when we think of obedience, we think of what? The master-slave relationship. 
I'm just going to tell you what to do, and you're going to do it. But when it comes to God, when you look at this idea of adoption now, the idea of obedience takes on a whole new meaning. Because if He is really our Father and we are His sons and daughters, that means that He really cares about your well-being. That He has better desires for you than you have for yourself. And because of that, that new relationship, when you obey Him, you are not just obeying Him to earn your salvation, but you're obeying so that you can please Him as the Father. And you want to please Him because He's changed your heart to desire that. It's not that you just please Him just because. It's because that's the best way for you to live. That's the best way for you to live. And so I think about uh, marriage. Uh, I've, I've given tons of analogies on marriage before here on how that, that connects our relationship with God. And it's true here as well. Why do I want to please my wife? Is it just so I can, like, you know, keep the marriage together and, and so she won't leave me? No, I don't do it out of fear. I do it because I, I just want, I want to please her. I love her. I want to please her. And it's the same motivation with God. You have this new motivation now to obey God because of your, your new adopted status as his son or as his daughter. And so whenever you, whenever you sin in that context of that relationship, when you violate that relationship, it's not that the relationship stops or ceases to exist. Obviously, if with my wife and I, if I sin against her, which does happen pretty regularly, then uh, it's not that she stops being my wife or I stop being her husband, but she might be sitting like this on the couch, like, with her shoulder turned, right? And that means fellowship has been broken for a moment. And until I get up, you get figuratively on my knees and say, look, baby, I'm really sorry, you know, I didn't mean to say it that way. And uh, until I confess to her and in a sense repent of my sin, the relationship is still going to be, going to have tension and going to be marred. And the same thing is true with God. God never leaves you, never forsakes you. But guess what? We can break fellowship with Him because of sin. You don't stop being a Christian. He's still your father. You're still His son or daughter. But the, the relationship can be tainted and marred. And until it's made right, you'll still experience Him in that way. The second thing is it affects your prayer life. It affects your prayer life. Uh, again, when most of you hear that word, you hear prayer, you think of, oh, okay, okay, prayer. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray. Um, but when you start to see God as a father, when you see him as a very personable, a personable, uh, close, the God that he is, your prayer life takes on a whole new meaning. It, it completely opens up. Because now you see him as, as accessible, you see him as really caring about the things of your life. You no longer see him as this distant God that you once saw him as. If you think of a child, a child uh, will come to his father, and he speaks very simply, and he speaks very boldly. My son has no problem speaking very simply and boldly to me. He'll come and, and tell me exactly what he wants, when he wants it. Okay? And in a way, I'm not saying you go to God and you just say, God, here's what I want. Give me the checklist. I'm saying that you go to God and you pray to Him simply and boldly. Whenever you're in a time of need, spiritually, you can cry out to Him like a child would, and you can pray in that way. Pray simply and boldly. Thirdly, 
It affects our fellowship. It affects our fellowship together as the body of Christ. Now, if, if I am a son of God, and you are all sons of God and daughters of God, then what does that make us? It makes us a family. It makes us a family. That means we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I know that we talk about that a lot up here. But whenever I talk to you guys about, you know, hey, make sure that we're reaching out to people. Make sure that we are, you know, when somebody comes in that's new, make sure we, we talk to them, we, we say hi to them, that you ask them their name, God forbid. Ask them what school they go to. I mean, but the reason why I tell you those things is because I read a survey recently that said, what is the number one thing that will draw you to a youth group? And I was blown away by the answer. And the answer was this. It was a place where I can be myself and feel accepted. That was it. It wasn't, you know, really cool worship band. It wasn't, you know, crazy awesome youth pastor. It wasn't a building. It wasn't cool lights. It wasn't any of that stuff. It was a place I can feel accepted and I feel like people know me. So whenever, whenever we talk about accepting people in this room on Sunday morning, we're not just trying to grow the youth group. We're trying to grow God's kingdom. Because most people, when they come into this door, they're not going to even want to ever come back here if they don't feel this sense of fellowship, this sense of family, and I feel like I belong here. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so someone uh, said it this way. We are to learn to accept and appreciate one another, no matter what natural differences might separate us. Rich and poor alike are to be treated as brothers. We are to never give up on one another, to both confront and forgive in proportions as great as required. Can you imagine if that truth, if that sank into us, can you imagine if this is a place where, where people could say bold things to each other and they could do it in love in a way where we grow and we change as a result of it? Recently, uh, my brother, my oldest brother, has been really at odds with my father. And they haven't spoken in months. And uh, my dad did something to kind of violate the relationship. He just said something he shouldn't have said. My brother got mad about it. And as a result of it, they're both really hard-headed people, and so neither one's going to budge right now. So my brother is talking to me about this and saying, you know, what should I do? And he's talking about, you know, should I just tell him you can't come back and see your grandkids anymore and just threaten all these things? And, and this idea came to my head where I thought, you know, the only way that my dad is going to change in this area is if we do two things. One, yes, tell him the truth. That needs to be done. But secondly, do we love him? Can can we combine those two things? Truth-telling and loving him. Because nothing else is going to work. And I think so many times in the body of Christ, we try to do one or the other, but not both. We we think that, I'm just going to tell them the truth, drop a bomb over here, and then run away. We do it in anger sometimes. Or we might even just try to love and, and, and be peacemakers and not ever bring up anything controversial, which that's the most unloving thing you can do when you think about it. 
But can we combine those two things, truth-telling and loving someone? When those two things are combined together, the most powerful kind of relationships emerge from that and flow from that. That's fellowship. That's the body of Christ working together. When you, when you grasp, grasp these ideas of adoption, it changes everything. It changes everything for us. Now, I want to be really clear this morning. Guys, I'm going to go over. I'm just going to tell you. But um, it's just today. Don't worry. But I want to tell you this morning, I want to be really clear this morning, that contrary to what some people might think, we are not all God's children. I know on TV you'll hear people say things like, yeah, yeah, we're all God's children. I know what they, they try to mean by that. And I guess in a sense, yeah, you know, God created us. We're made in His image. But biblically speaking, there's nothing in the Bible that says we are all God's children. That everyone who's created by God is God's child or adopted by God. Okay? It's very specific as to who is a child of God in Scripture. And in John chapter 1, it says this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What he's saying there is very specific. It's saying that unless you come to a place of true brokenness and repentance because of your sin before God, and you've come to know Christ and you have this faith, trust, relationship in Him, knowing that nothing you can do to earn your salvation, that all you are to Him is just, just a broken vessel. You have nothing to offer Him in yourself. That when you know that and you come to Him in faith, that's when a relationship with Christ begins. At that moment, you are now adopted by Him. It's very clear here that we are not all God's children, I don't care what Oprah tells you, all right? And people like her that like to think that kind of stuff. But here's what verse 13 says. Verse 13 says, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, guys, he, he invites all of us. He invites all of us to come sit at his table as his adopted sons and daughters. But only those who receive him and place their faith in him can become his sons. Now, at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus, he took, uh, took bread and he took wine with his disciples. And what he did was pretty profound. He took bread and he broke it in half. And he said the words, he said, this is my body broken for you. Because he was about to be beaten for us. And he took, he took the bread and he dipped it into the wine to symbolize something else profound. And that was that the wine represented his blood. And he was trying to tell his disciples that his body was about to be broken, but also soaked with blood for you and me. And he said, take this and eat it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you do this, it's a symbol of, of my death and my life and my resurrection. And every time you do this, you're to reflect on what I have done for you. And it's supposed to fire your heart with the knowledge of who Christ is and, and who you are in Christ. And to know that he is 
ask you to come to his table and eat as his son or as his daughter. That's what he's done for you. And so this morning, I want to invite you guys to come to his table and actually uh, partake in communion uh, this morning. We're going to have you guys give in just a minute. We're going to play a song. If you're, if you're someone who's not really uh, really sure yet, if you're even a Christian, I would say don't do this. Hold back from this. Only if you know where you're at with Christ should you come forward and, and partake in communion. But if you're someone who's uh, struggling, you're not, really right, you're not really right with God at the moment, uh, whatever that looks like in your life, that maybe you should just sit and pray and think about the words of this song. The words of this song are pretty meaningful and profound as we think about this idea of adoption, okay? So we just kind of sit and reflect. It's not time to goof around and screw off, guys, and just sort of mess around. This is a time for you guys to be serious about what Christ has done for you. And as it plays, sit there and reflect, and uh, go ahead and come forward as you feel led uh, to partake in, in communion. So let's go ahead and play the song. <laughs> Shattered by the fall Broken and forgotten Feeling lost and all alone Summoned by the King Into the Master's courts Lifted by the Savior And cradled in His arms I was carried to the table
Jesus Christ has invited every single one of us to his table to sit there as his son or as his daughter. Um, The question is, will you accept that invitation? And uh, this morning, um, I'm going to just tell you real quick, I'm going to give you the gospel. I'm going to pray. And if you want to come to know Christ this morning for the first time, I want you to pray along with me. And afterwards, I'm just going to ask you, you know, hey, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand. And I want to come talk to you. I want to uh, talk to you this morning about what that means for your life and what uh, that looks like in your life. Because I think it's that important. Uh, before I do that, let me explain something to you real quick. If you're a person that's here this morning and and you feel like for the first time the gospel uh, really spoke to you this morning, you really understood for the first time that, that what it means to be a Christian that it, that it means that you are adopted by God as his son. That, that you're no longer just following him like a slave because of follow after a master, but you see yourself as a son or a daughter to a father. And that if that really sunk into you this morning, then, um, then I think the gospel is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. And uh, But there are some people in here that, that um, you've got some beliefs about God. You might have the right beliefs about God. If someone asks you the question, you know, what is a Christian, you might say the right answers. And that's good. But maybe you're someone who's never told God what you believe about Him. Maybe you've never really confessed in a moment in time, God, I believe that I'm a sinner separated from you because of my sin. I believe this only through you and your death on the cross that I can start a relationship with you. If you have never confessed that before to God, then I would be questioning my salvation if I were you. I'm not saying you're not saved for sure. I'm just saying you might want to think about that because Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And there's two things that are going on there. There's the heart belief. You might have the heart belief. You might have the faith. But if you've never really confessed those things to God then maybe this morning you can do that for the first time. And so if that is you, I'm going to go ahead and pray and just you know, follow along with me in this prayer as I pray and be praying these things from yourself to God. And if that is you, I'm going to have everyone just keep their eyes closed after we pray and I'm just going to have, ask you, hey, did you pray that prayer? I want, to, I want to know if you did. And if you did, just raise your hand real quickly. I'll make a mental just note of, of who did that. And I want to talk to those that, that do that this morning. If there is anyone here that, that feels led to do that this morning, let's go ahead and, and close your eyes. Let's go ahead and pray to God. God, I just come to you this morning uh, just broken, knowing that it's because of my sin that I'm separated from you. You are a holy God. You're a perfect God. And I'm unholy. I'm imperfect. I'm sinful. Everything inside of me goes against what, what you are. And God, I want to come to you this morning and I want to begin a relationship with you. I want to come to you and say that I know that it's only through you and through your finished work on the cross that I can even enter into a relationship with you. God, I've been trying to run. I've been trying to, to figure out things on my own. I've been trying to, to live a life that I think is freedom, but really it's, it's slavery. I pray that you would, you would help me to, to know this morning 
And it's only for you that I can have true freedom and true life in Christ. And God, this morning I received that. This morning I, I placed my faith in that, my trust in that. And God, you'd help me to, to live that out from this point forward in my life. God, thank you so much for, for saving me and for, for doing the thing in my life that only you can do. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Just go ahead and keep your eyes closed for just a second, please. And if, if you're someone who had maybe some of the right beliefs, some of the right knowledge, but for the first time this morning, you confessed it to God, you prayed to, to, to receive Christ into your heart for the first time this morning, I want you to raise your hand just quickly, uh, and I'll make a, a mental note of that. Okay, what I want to say now, you guys can open your eyes. What I want to say now is, is uh, if that is something that is really, uh, you're thinking about a lot this week and you want to talk about it next Sunday evening, or next Sunday even, even as well, uh, please come and talk to me. I would love to hear more about what God's doing in your life, if that is you, okay? Uh, thank you guys so much for coming this morning. Uh, we love you guys, and uh, we will see you guys on Wednesday. In fact, we're going to meet in here. Uh, for our meeting in just a little bit. So hang tight, and we'll have uh, lunch over here for you as well, okay?